0: When you hear the urgent call, answer it. These were the words told to me as I programmed my phone to receive emergency pages during my first night on call as a chaplain intern. Every seminary student completes at least one unit of something called clinical pastoral education or CPE. This is a period of time that the student spends in some kind of care setting a hospital, a nursing home, a rehab facility, places like that, where they received practical hands-on training in pastoral care. For my CPE experience, I spent six months right up the street at NCH. I was there during the peak of the COVID epidemic from July through December of 2020. And for me, the most stressful part of the job was not dealing with COVID, it was being on overnight call. And more about that in a moment. Our readings for the past couple of weeks have largely centered around the idea of a different kind of call, of God's call, of God speaking out and of the hearer's response to that voice. Last week, we had Samuel being called in the night and Paul reminding the church in Corinth of the high moral and ethical standards that God was calling them to. In John's Gospel, we witness Jesus calling Philip and Nathanael to follow him. This week we have more stories of calling, and we can hear in all of them a sense of urgency. Something is coming. Something is going to happen, and that something depends on whether or not people listen to God's message. We have Jonah, who however begrudgingly, eventually follows John's call to go to Nineveh and warn the citizens of that city that they had better repent and quickly or else. They have 40 days to turn things around and much to Jonah's surprise and even dismay, they listen, they repent. There's a sense of urgency in Paul's letter. He writes that the appointed time has grown short and the present form of this world is passing away. The Corinthians need to straighten up and fly right, much like the people of Nineveh, because the day of the Lord is right around the corner. And then we have Mark's Gospel, with Jesus calling the four fishermen who follow him immediately, no questions asked. And the message in all of these is clear. When God calls, when Jesus speaks, we need to respond. And we need to do it today, not tomorrow, not next week, right now, no questions asked. And this can be confusing, this call, because we are used to having a say in how information is given to us and in how we respond. We are strident defenders of our free will. Control over our lives is important to us. So it doesn't seem so strange, really, that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. After all, it was the epicenter of greed and corruption and violence. It was described elsewhere in the Old Testament as a bloody city full of lies and plunder. Why would Jonah, a God-fearing man, a devout man, want to head towards that place? No wonder he drags his feet. And ultimately, after some time, after quite a bit of time as we might recall, including time spent in the belly of a fish. Jonah obeys. It's almost easier to understand Jonah's reaction to God's call than to understand the reactions of Simon and Andrew, James and John. Why are they so quick to respond to Jesus's call? They hear it and they answer. But they don't know Jesus, not really. They had jobs, Simon had a wife, they had responsibilities, they had employees. Why on earth are they going to drop everything and follow this person. What is the hurry? Why aren't they more like Jonah? Well, remember that they are all very familiar with the story of Jonah. These four future disciples are Jews after all, and Jesus' message is eerily similar to the one Jonah was calling out to the citizens of Nineveh. Jesus is telling them that the kingdom of God has come and that they need to repent and follow and believe. Perhaps the story of Jonah is precisely what they think of, or the stories of Samuel or Moses or Abraham, those stories of calling where people obeyed the command of God. Mark doesn't tell us what they are thinking. He only tells us their response to Jesus' call. and the nature of this call, it is different, for Jesus is calling them to something new. He's calling them although they may not realize it just yet, to a totally new way of living, of worshiping, of relating to others. What Mark shows us with this passage, with the abruptness of this passage, is a very clear divide, a before and after, a line in that sand on the beach, if you will, that defines discipleship. This moment, the moment that these men drop everything and leave everything and everyone they know and follow Jesus, this is the moment that that their discipleship begins. It's the moment that they become disciples. And that's an important distinction to make. Discipleship isn't a task, it's an identity. God gave Jonah a task to accomplish. Jesus is asking more. Discipleship is a transformation. A move away from an old way of being towards a new one. For the men in our reading, this shift in circumstances isn't the end of their story. It's the beginning, the first step. Jesus has fished for them and is calling them into a new way of being. He even tells us they will be a new form of fishermen, where they fish for people. He isn't handing them a to-do list. He isn't saying, go bring in this many people. He's transforming them into this new existence. And it's a good thing that they did follow him because discipleship, and this is the part that's important for us to understand as we try to apply this gospel passage to our own lives, discipleship isn't something you can learn by reading or listening or even watching a YouTube video, even though those are useful for so many things. Discipleship is learned by doing. Call it what you want, on the job training and apprenticeship perhaps trial by fire, we learn best by actually doing the thing that we are called to do. Think of being a nurse or a doctor or a pilot. Think of learning to drive or being a parent. You can read and study and memorize, but nothing substitutes for diving in and doing the work. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, writes that the disciple is not there to jot down ideas and then go away and think about them. The disciple is where he or she is in order to be changed so that the way in which he or she sees and experiences the whole world changes. During that first week of my CPE training, they gave us a very thick manual with all kinds of policies and procedures about fire drills and infection control and how to chart things in the computer and patient confidentiality. This made me very happy because clergy, in case you've never noticed, clergy love a good manual. (laughs) Just look at the Book of Common Prayer. It tells you everything, when to sit, when to stand. It's chock full of how-tos, and that makes us all very comfortable. This manual, my CPE manual, had a lot of information about where to park, and precisely zero instruction on how to be a chaplain. And when I asked about that lack of information, my supervisor smiled and said something about trusting the process. On my first day, I accompanied a more experienced chaplain on exactly one visit. And it went well. I was feeling pretty good about the whole thing. I could do this. You knock, you smile, you introduce yourself, you chat you pray, and then on to the next patient on your list. By the end of the day, I had made five visits all by myself. All the names on my list were checked off. Task completed. And then that evening, as luck would have it, it was my turn to be on call. And I had set up a special ringtone on my phone to wake me. And to this day, if I hear that tone, my heart speeds up about 20 beats. The procedure was that when the phone went off, you got up, threw on some clothes, and drove to the hospital to handle whatever emergency might be happening. My supervisor told me it was pretty unusual, especially during weeknights, to get a call. There wasn't anything to worry about. The first night I was paged three times. (laughs) Each time was for a code blue, which is one of those emergencies that you see on TV where everyone comes running, there are a million people in the room, and all kinds of chaos ensues. Code blues are serious business. That night, all three of those patients died. The ironic thing about a code is that there's a very specific protocol that everyone follows. Every person has a role. There's even a nurse who stands by and writes down everything that happens, except for the chaplain. There was no manual for me, not even a cheat sheet, but luckily, Jesus was there, guiding me, giving me the right words, helping me provide whatever it was that people needed in that moment. As unsure of myself as I was, I never felt alone. The details are fuzzy now, but somehow I got through that night. I remember praying and comforting, not just the families, but also staff members, who at that point in the pandemic were experiencing more death and loss than they could handle. Over the next six months, I would answer many more of those urgent calls, and slowly, with a lot of missteps along the way, and with a lot of prayer and help and hands-on experience, I went from doing chaplain tasks to being a chaplain. Doing that work, being with all of those people, the patients, the families, the staff, over those six months and talking to God on the way home from the hospital about all that I had experienced, it did indeed change me. It changed the way I saw and experienced the world. It changed the way I experienced Christ. And hopefully, it made me a better priest. We are all called to be disciples of Christ. We may not know precisely how that might look or what following Jesus might mean for us, It may not mean giving up our jobs or families, like the men in our reading. Perhaps your call is to be a disciple at your job or in your home, with your family. Perhaps your call is to be a disciple here at Trinity with one of our lay ministries. Perhaps you're called to become a daughter of the King. Perhaps your call is out in the greater community. If you need help discerning that call, there are priests here who can help. What we do know is that we aren't called to be armchair disciples. Jesus is claiming us, just as he claimed James and John, Simon and Andrew. He calls us with that same decisive urgency, today, right now, to be his apprentice, to work actively, faithfully under his guiding hand, to learn by doing with him right here by our side. We have an urgent call. You have an urgent call. Answer it.